Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 227. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of What If, episode 9, What If the Watcher Broke His Oath, directed by Brian Andrews and written by AC Bradley, who is the head writer for the series. Before we talk about the What If season finale, just want to let you know about Fan Show Plus, the exclusive podcast that we have for premium subscribers via patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts if you search for MCU Fan Show and find our channel, or just search for Fan Show Plus, you can subscribe for those premium podcasts, or as I said, you can also go to patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, that's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R, or just hit the link in our show notes. And on the next edition of Fan Show Plus, we'll be talking about some Marvel news, including the news that Katherine Hahn will be reprising the role of Agatha Harkness in her own Disney Plus series. So you'll find that and more exclusive episodes via Fanshow Plus for premium subscribers. And then make sure you are following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fanshow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. A few more of you did that this week. Thanks so much to those of you who've already taken the time to do so. And again, we do ask if you are enjoying the show, uh, we would love to hear your feedback over on Apple Podcasts. And now, without further ado, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I'm doing fantastic. I am glad to hear it and so excited to talk about this season finale of What If. We were just talking off air. I had done the math before the show that this is the 30th episode of a Marvel Studios series that we have been treated to in 2021. So that makes this the 30th spoiler review that we've done for a Marvel Studios episode. There have also been a couple of Marvel Studios movies that we've seen this year with Black Widow and Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, and also something not from Marvel Studios, but maybe with some other Marvel connections, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, our spoiler review that we did last week, one of three episodes that we released last week. So with that in mind, maybe you're not hearing this one right after we posted it because you had some catching up to do. I don't really know, but all's fair when we drop that many episodes in such a short amount of time. Hopefully you've listened to them and enjoyed them, and hopefully you will listen to and enjoy this as well as we talk about this What If season finale. And Paul, it's been a little bit of uh, some ups and downs with the show this season. Mm -hmm. I think it's mostly been ups, though. I mean, if you go back and Mm -hmm. I think about the conversations that we've had over the past several weeks, most episodes we were very, very happy with. And a couple episodes, only one episode that just flat out wasn't very happy with, the fifth episode, the zombie one. But other than that, been pretty happy with the show, even when there were times like last week where there were a few continuity bugaboos that we had to worry about and break down on the show. But this one, I really enjoyed the finale, and, and I think part of what helped it is it didn't have to worry about the continuity so much because it was taking all the pieces that had been put in place throughout this season and then just moving forward with them. So because it wasn't reaching back as much, it couldn't reach back into Infinity Saga territory where we might notice some of those continuity gaps. So I think that was uh, that really helped this one. And also, I think what helped it is it just went for a big, epic, action-packed finale. I think that was the key thing for me in, in this episode where it, it mm-hmm. brought all the people. The Watcher just brings everyone together, and obviously Doctor Strange, Supreme is part of that as well. Bring everyone together. Let's have it out with Ultron. And we got a, a beautifully animated, just epic battle 
between all of these characters that I really, really enjoyed. So it was very easy to have a great time watching this finale. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I, I think one of the things that I I was surprised about and I didn't really realize till you know much later because again I avoid all the trailers for the most part as uh, I can. At least I, I always watch the first ones for these uh, things, but then after that I try to avoid them because I want to save whatever I can for the show, uh, show or movie or whatever. Um, all that being said, when we fe- when I found out that we're coming to a, a head with a group of all the different multiverse characters that are kind of showcasing, I was curious what that was going to look like. And I was surprised at how well they were able to execute a story with all these different characters. And to me made it feel like, man, why I want to see more of these characters. They did a great job. I thought of showcasing all of them and giving them their own moments. And Honestly, just kind of putting more of a stamp on, I think, why I think the show, in my opinion, has been successful, at least giving a different uh, side taste or whatever, uh, what have you, for the show and these characters and what it can do and how, like, again, how marketable and and how interesting these characters can be. And I think um, as we break down the episode, we'll kind of break down what I think kind of the, the standouts and everything, but but yeah, I, to me, it was more of a surprise. Like, oh wow, we're getting we're gonna get a you know a kind of a combination of all these different episodes and kind of give us a an actual like ending of the season instead of just kind of having a you know again what I'm used to the comic books is just one and done's one and done's. There's no kind of you know crossover thing at least from the there was like a, a mini '90s crossover, but it wasn't really nothing, nothing like this anyway. So yeah, for me, it was. I like the idea of bringing these, all these characters together and having a kind of a, a battle. And I like the idea of the guardians of the multiverse. I think that's a really interesting concept that I hope is, is kind of brought outside of the cartoon show and into the real live action stuff as well. So I think that there's a lot of great things introduced in this episode, which we'll get to, well, we'll get to more uh, in depth here in a little bit, but I loved all of this and I thought it was a great ending to the, to a, a great series of, of the season. Yeah. I thought it was a really great uh, finale for the season. And I also think that it's just, you know, overall did a really great job of, um, you know, did a really great job of bringing things together from this entire season while also, I mean, I, I think what I was probably surprised by as far as talking about things it did a good job of doing is it actually did a really good job of providing resolution to this season. And I think things were more result. There was more resolution to the end of this season than I actually expected that the threat of Ultron has been handled for now. And that's all well and good. But there's I mean, there's the opportunity for other things to come up. And of course, the heroes would have to address those issues, but I almost thought that maybe this could have had a Loki-esque sort of finale where you end up having a a situation where the way it ends is kind of like blowing up the balloon at the end, as we saw with the Loki finale, like as just as you understand this, now we're going to blow the whole thing up and you're going to have to catch up all over again, starting in season two, or maybe even before that in movies and and whatever else. And so I was thinking with what if, with this just being season one, and even though Marvel Studios hasn't necessarily put out like a formal, there will be a season two announcement, 
The creators of the show have been speaking pretty publicly and, and certainly acting as if there's going to be a second season and talking about an episode that was supposed to be part of this season that's been punted to the second season, which we will get to. But I was wondering going into this, will they resolve this story or will it be sort of a resolution that mainly points toward the next season? And really, the opportunities are obviously there for a second season. The opportunities are there for spinoffs from this show. There's no doubt about that. And we will cover it on this podcast. But the main story, the A plot of this season did have a resolution by the end of it, and I thought it was a satisfying end to the the story of this season. But going into the specific scenes of this episode, we start things out on the Lemurian Star, a familiar setting for fans of the Infinity Saga. So even though I said they didn't go back a lot in this episode, and they don't, uh, this is one where they did, but we already know that this is a new timeline, a different continuity, because it's Captain Carter who's on this mission aboard the Lumerian Star, and we see this friendship that she has developed with Natasha Romanoff, and they have this, I've got the sword, you've or I've got the shield, you've got the sword dynamic between the two of them, and just as Natasha tried to help Steve in one timeline, in this timeline, she's trying to help Captain Carter with dating, talking about Bernard in accounting, uh, and Peggy Carter makes a funny joke about nothing good's ever followed the phrase Bernard in accounting, and then uh, Widow goes for what if his name was Steve, and then we get into uh, a shot that looks very similar to jumping off the Quinjet down into the ocean and jumping on the ship and Captain Carter just whooping all kinds of ass on the boat leading to Batroc, mm-hmm. who is voiced by George St. Pierre, who's back for this episode. And what I loved about this is he is they've you know, they haven't necessarily emphasized this aspect of his name in the live action MCU, but he is Batroc the Leaper and he's a lot more leapy in this. And I think that's just taking yes. advantage of animation as a medium that you need to have bigger movements in order for them to just be visually interesting for the audience. And so we see Batroc looking a little bit more like what we would expect Batroc to look like. Not that he hasn't been done well in the live action MCU he has, but here's just a luxury that this medium affords you. So they go ahead and they take it. And this scene is the better for it. But then we really start to get a sense of where this episode is going because mid battle Captain Carter is distracted because the Watcher has shown up and he is summoning her. Captain Carter, the soldier lost in time, you have been chosen. And we'll talk uh, for and we'll talk in a moment about assembling the rest of the team for the Guardians of the Multiverse, Paul. But I, I'm sure I wasn't the only one who was getting a kick out of Captain Carter above the Lumerian Star, aboard the Lumerian Star, and also wearing her own version of that stealth suit. Yeah, that was really cool. I, I like you noticed that Batrock actually seemed more like Batrock from the comic books mm-hmm. from this episode. Now, again, I re- I really liked Batrock from the films and and Falcon Winter Soldier, so I don't, don't want to be like, oh my god, this was like totally you know, no, don't get me wrong, I I, I like that stuff too, but it was it was cool to kind of see like you like you said a little more leapy and. Uh, I did, I, I was wondering where they were going with it. Um, and I thought there was great setup here too with Black Widow and Captain Carter. And one thing I thought was cool is initially you get immediately the relationship between Captain Carter and Black Widow is immediately closer than it is with even Steve Rogers and Black Widow. And 
that to me was evident. Like these people connected a little bit more than Steve and Black Widow did. At least that's the way I interpreted it anyway. And we obviously was setting up later on in the episode, which I thought was again a great callback and and, and again using exposition and and things aren't being wasted. And and a, this was a little bit longer than a traditional what if episode that we've gotten. I did think that they they did great use of their time for the most part. And again, this was not wasted. It was used later on. It was a great setup. And I love seeing Batrock be a little more comic book accurate as far as like jumping up and using his feet more mm-hmm. like like the comic. Yeah, that little comic like book. handstand, like twirling kick that he had was great. Yes. Oh, it felt very Street Fighter 2 also. Uh, <laughs> it Chung- did. It was a little Chung-Li. guile. <laughs> oh, it was a guile. Yeah. I thought Chung Lee does the like little. She like, does. Yeah, kick. they. I think. But guile has they one, too. Yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of spinning but, uh, kicks in Street Fighter. There, there is a lot. Let's be real. Let's be real. No, but with all that. I, it felt like more um, like from the comic books. I always remember Bat Rock just you just see like this him with his legs in the air, like like he's almost flying, like like a like a, let's use let's use another uh, fighting game uh, analogy, Liu Kang from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. Well, but also Bat Rock is a fairly regular character in the Ultimate Spider-Man Disney XD animated series that I know has like evolved into different titles and stuff over the years, but Bat Rock was always around. And uh, so this is kind of more of what I expect from the character in terms of movement. But even through just the comic books, yeah, the panels show certainly suggests more and put in your mind, even though I know they're still images. But they're making you they're sparking the imagination for bigger movements than what you typically get in the live action MCU. But here it's an animated form and they totally nail it. And then as far as putting together the rest of the team, we next catch up with T'Challa, who is saving Peter Quill from ego, as we saw at the end of the second episode, the T'Challa Star-Lord episode. I like that Peter Quill calls uh, the Watcher giant baby man-cape dude. I thought that was funny. And then the Watcher saying T'Challa, or Star-Lord T'Challa, leader of the Ravagers and lost Prince of Wakanda, you have been chosen, which takes us to Nidavellir, and we see Gamora, Tony Stark, in a big, like, Hulkbuster-y, but spacey uh, Iron Man armor that's totally been to Sakaar, and that makes sense based on what uh, the Watcher is about to say. Eitri is there, too. It looks like they're melting down a gauntlet. It seems like this is after they've already defeated Thanos, which, again, makes sense based on what the Watcher uh, is saying. Uh, Tony's talking about the Infinity Stones, and he wants to put a suit of armor around the world. Where have we heard that before? Um, but also wants to put one around the galaxy. And as I said, it looks like he's been to Sakaar, and he has, because when the Watcher shows up, the Watcher says, Gamora survivor of Sakaar and destroyer of Thanos. And Tony's wondering, what about him? And Watcher saying, not you, Stark. You, Gamora, have been chosen. Now, obviously, Paul, we are missing something here. And Mm -hmm. what we are missing is an entire episode, which AC Bradley has confirmed. And there was an episode they talked about that there were going to be 10 episodes of What If. We got nine this season. This is the missing episode that due to the pandemic and one of, and the impacts on one of their animation houses, they were put to, it was at a point where they, they had a choice to make either delay the entire series, because this was originally going to be the fourth episode of the season, which of course, as we know, ended up being the Doctor Strange Supreme episode. This was going to be the fourth episode, and apparently the choice was delay the entire season or just go ahead and, and save this episode for season two. Now, obviously, it will just have to serve the function of being a, a prequel and supplemental information for season uh, for, for season one that's happening during season two because it's 
the story that this would be this episode would be part of it gets resolved in this finale but i still want to see it one day and and i don't necessarily fault them for the choice it, i actually thought it, it kind of worked in this episode like yes we're missing a story here and i definitely want to see gamora as the survivor of sakar and the destroyer of thanos and this team up with tony stark i absolutely want to see it but i'm also i, I also kind of liked that this episode sort of ended up having some mystery and, and wanting to know more about this character. So I'm still very excited to see uh, what we get uh, from this episode. My only uh, request, Paul, not that it's your decision, but I wonder how you feel about it. Because it's not technically part of the story of season two, if they're really going to finish this episode, I hope they just drop it whenever they can finish it. Like, I don't really see the mm. need to wait for season two. Like, I, I think this is isn't this supposed to be one of the advantages of streaming is you don't really have to worry mm -hmm. about schedules as much. And, and so if it wasn't ready for the whole season, okay, that's fine. But whenever it is ready, assuming they really are putting the money into it to finish the episode, then just go ahead and drop it and, and make a little event that it's a what if special, the, the lost episode premiering on Disney plus on some given Wednesday. Um, that's what I hope for. I, I don't really see the need to wait for season two, um, unless, of course, what you also realize is, you know, behind the scenes with scheduling and, and paying for everything that if it's just getting if they're not working on it until they start working on season two episodes, then that's where it makes sense that they would save it for season two. But if it's possible for them to drop it earlier, I think they should. Mm. See, I, and I don't I didn't know that. So this is all news to me. And then the fact that we got that that, that, that was confirmed because when this showed up, I thought it was really interesting. Because I like, I kind of like the idea of the watcher just going in random, mm. uh, uh, random place and going here. I'm like, what the hell? What is this? And I'm like, first of all, as it's going on, I was thinking, okay, we haven't seen this episode, but I want to see this episode, right? <laughs> right? I, w I was just saying to myself, where is this? This looks like Tony looks amazing. Gamora looks amazing. Uh, this looks rad, you know. So. I, one, I, we have to see this episode. I don't care if it's out of order or whatever. I'm with you, Sean. Just drop it when it's done. I just want to see it. So I like this. I, I kind of like the idea, too, maybe in future episodes of what if. Maybe let's not have to go to share every episode of, of a continuity thing like this. like a, Or as far as like because we're, we're, we're all building to something like mm -hmm. this, I should say. Maybe have the idea of it, the Watcher grabbing a bunch of randos from different multiverses is kind of a, an idea. Not You don't have to have an episode about them. It gives them more intrigue that way. Like, why right. is – because to me, that's the first thing I said is, why is it only Gamora and, and Iron Man? I, my head starts, you know, thinking, like, what is this? Maybe you can go back and tell those stories, if you know, dep depending on fan um, – you know, reactions and things like that. Something to think about. I did like the idea of not knowing what's going on with this, but it, it, I immediately want to know more because Gamora was extremely fa uh, fascinating. I loved seeing the helicopter sword. Mm -hmm. That was radical. I mean, lots of great stuff. I was intrigued by with this. Um, and I also love the watcher being like, not you, Stark. Right. <laughs> Which, like, by like, the way, no. is a perfectly valid method of dealing with Tony Stark without killing him. So in so yes. much of this series, it's been, well, how do you get Iron Man out of the way? Gotta kill him. And this time it's just like, how do you get Iron Man out of the way? Just leave him behind. It's fine. And so mm -hmm. I, I appreciated that, which, of course, you know, because we know there's a whole episode that's attached to this. Obviously, there's a story that includes Tony Stark, but you can also tell that 
that's a story in which Tony is a supporting character, and it's really Gamora in the lead. And I definitely want to see that episode. Like, I want to see her destroy Thanos. I am very excited about that because obviously we know what Thanos did to her in Avengers Infinity War in one timeline. So I would love to see Gamora in a different timeline be able to, not that you could really call it revenge, but be able to, in some cosmic multiversal way, sort of even the score a bit with Thanos, I'd be very excited about that. And then I have one thing. Yeah. One quick thing I want to add. I don't understand why we didn't get this episode, but we got zombies. Because it had nothing. It had nothing to do with the other. Like it wasn't like they said which episode. I think it was this episode specifically. And I'm sure there were probably different animation houses that were working on sure. different episodes. Is common that's how fair. I'm guessing that's what it was because that's usually what it is with VFX as well. You have different third-party companies, different vendors who are working on the show or working on the movie simultaneously. And just like with VFX, they're working on different scenes, different aspects of a film. Different houses were probably working on different episodes of this. And and it was what AC Bradley had mentioned, that the, the animation house that was working on this episode was really impacted by COVID. And so that was, you know, that's what caused the delay. So it wasn't like they said one episode has to go. Which one is it okay. going to be? It was just it was always this episode that was being directly impacted by whatever was going on. Okay. So it, it was not the choice was not which episode. The choice was this episode specifically is not going to happen in time for this season. What do we want to do about it? Um, got and they you. decided okay. that they would move forward without it. And and I still think the finale works. I want to see that episode. I totally do. But I don't feel like this finale fell flat for me because I didn't have the backstory of this Gamora because I want to see the episode, but it's also not that hard for me to imagine enough of it. Like, if you tell me that Gamora is, and she's got the helicopter blade and that Thanos armor, and the Watcher calls her the destroyer of Thanos, I immediately buy it, and I'm ready to move on from there. I want to go back and watch her destroy Thanos and get that whole story, but uh, I'm not, it's not like I, I can't buy the idea of uh, of where she's at and the status and, and why the Watcher would have wanted to add her to the team. A little more curious as to why the Watcher would have wanted to add Killmonger to the team, but we will talk about that later in the show. But we do go to mm -hmm. Wakanda, and we see Shuri, Pepper, and the Dora Milaje. They are on their way to arrest Killmonger. So it looks like, Paul, this was important based on the conversation we had a few weeks ago. <laughs> people did accept the evidence that Shuri and Pepper would have presented, which is very, very good. I was a little worried that like they had Killmonger dead to rights, and yet nobody was going to believe him. It looks like everybody believed them very, very quickly. The only problem is, by the time they show up, Killmonger is gone because... The Watcher says, Eric Stevens, Killmonger, Tony Stark's former protege and killer, you have been chosen. But the best summoning has to go to Party Thor in Las Vegas. As he says, nobody messes with Vegas. And his whole, like, because I remember Paul going way back to modern myth media days and... One of wow. the things that you were hoping for with Thor and part of the reason you love the character so much was the whole have at the sort of comment mm -hmm. that would come from Thor. This mm -hmm. is party Thor. So he's not quite as sophisticated, but so he's not saying have at the he's saying have at you, which is what have at the means. And I just loved it. Like when he is saying have at you and you and you and you, I was just dying laughing. Uh, I could not stop laughing at party Thor. Uh, that was so much fun as the Watcher summons and Thor Odinson, Crown Prince of Asgard. You have been chosen. Uh, I was loving all of this stuff, but uh, yeah, I was I was getting a really good laugh 
out of Party Thor's uh, out of Party Thor being summoned in Vegas. Not as good as his battle cry that's coming up, but this all the have oh at you were great. Okay, really quickly, uh, Pepper Potts in the previous uh, scene. Uh, she's wearing the exact same thing she was before, which is a dress and high heels to like uh, to basically take on Killmonger. I just thought that was really strange myself. I was like, okay, so they just went straight from like the desk. Yeah, to the it's you know, I, I think it's the shortcut to it. say they were being well, and it's also cheaper in animation to have people wearing the same sure. things. That's totally fair. My, my question wasn't so much. Uh, I don't even think I hadn't even noticed the heels until you mentioned them now. I know. But <laughs> what I was noticing is I was like, why does Pepper have a gun? Like, how is she like, uh, like, like she's instantly been promoted to. I mean, I know she eventually, you know, had her action moments in uh, the Infinity Saga, but this is pre Extremis and Iron Man 3. This is pre Rescue and Endgame. Not that the timeline totally matters in What If, because often it doesn't. But yeah, I was like, eh, whatever, I don't care. It was shorthand to basically verify. Right. I think the most important thing for me is it, it solved what was probably, uh, not probably, it was one of the, you know, not a huge issue, but one of the issues I had with the Killmonger episode was like, wait a minute. they She has like video evidence and they're like, now there has to be a, a little conspiracy between the two of them to prove how bad Killmonger is. No, like everybody accepted the evidence and they're going to make the arrest. So it's really just meant to be like, hey, what you saw at the end of that episode, it was paid off right away, or at least it would have been had Killmonger not been taken. But really, really quickly on, on Party Thor, this to me is the MVP. I mean, I Hemsworth is just, he, there is something with Hemsworth, man, that he just is can do comedy I don't know. I can't. I never would have predicted it as well. I mean, even though he's great, I think in the first. I mean, I love the first Thor movie to death, and he's great in that. He's hilarious in that. But obviously, through the years, he's really developed, and his timing is just. I can't explain it. Dude is hilarious, and mm -hmm. even when he's people writing for him, this whole thing when he's fighting the Ultrons and and just complaining that he wanted to see he did his hair. You know, oh my god, I was just like, this is hilarious, and. When he, again, you, I, I, back in the day, I wanted to hear, have his old sayings, and one of them we still haven't heard, which I maybe Taika, I'm hoping you bring it in there. Is I say the nay. I need to, hear, I need to hear that a the nay. I say the nay. Um, but you're right. His battle cry later on, I was rolling multiple times. As watching it again, I was dying laughing. I love Party Thor. I want to see. I want to see Party Thor in a live action film. Not for the whole film. Give me a cameo. Because I got to see that, man. I love, 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 love Party Thor. Never thought I'd say that going into it. I love him. I want more, more, more Party Thor. I feel like we're going to get some of that, even though it's not the exact same character having gone through all the same experiences, not in the same timeline. But I feel like a lot of that Party Thor vibe is going to come through in Thor Love and Thunder because it really should be the most unburdened Thor has ever been, right? Because of everything he goes through in the Infinity Saga, he puts that to bed, and he also gives up on the... Or, I should say, gives up. He he grows out of the idea of who he's supposed to be or, or whatever it is, and the expectations of being a king or what it's supposed to mean to be the God of Thunder and all of these different things. Like, And, of course, whatever idea of being a hero and whatever he's supposed to live up to, that you know his lesson in Endgame is essentially be and accept yourself and 
experience your own journey. And that's where he's at with Endgame, you know, talking about how the first time in his life he doesn't have a path. And so I feel like there's this is a liberated Thor that we're going to get in Love and Thunder. And I think that's going to allow him to have a lot of fun. Not that Thor has been all that short on fun in uh, the history of that franchise, but this is just another level. So even if it's not specifically party Thor from What If, who I do think will pop up in future seasons of What If and who knows other animated projects and stuff down the line, I do think a lot of that essence will be captured in Thor Love and Thunder. And you could even imagine Chris Hemsworth being like, this is a blast the way I'm playing this character right now. I want to inject some of this into what I'm doing in live action movies. And I'm sure Taika Waititi would have totally been game for that on the set of Thor Love and Thunder. So I, I think you're going to, in essence, uh, get your wish. And uh, the next thing, uh, next place we go, we're in a pub that's not really a pub, but it's just what Doctor Strange had kind of fashioned because he knew what uh, he had read Captain Carter's bio. Meanwhile, Killmonger is seeing himself in Ultron. So keep an eye out for that. And then we find out uh, as the Watcher appears, I love that T'Challa calls him out to like get a new trick, man. I thought that was great. So uh, the Watcher explains the mission. He dubs this team the Guardians of the Multiverse. Doctor Strange Supreme explains the Infinity Stones, kind of like he did in the Sanctum Sanctorum in Avengers Infinity War. Not that the members of this group wouldn't know what Infinity Stones are. Obviously, Gamora must. You would think Party Thor probably knows. Uh, Star-Lord T'Challa probably knows. But anyway... Doctor Strange Supreme is explaining them for everybody, and T'Challa says he's stolen more from worse, and Killmonger has a response to that, saying, seriously, you really are from another planet. I was hoping this little moment, it, it didn't end up meaning as much as I thought it was going to, because it, it seemed like the way Killmonger responded to that, Paul, was being slightly impressed by that, and maybe gaining some respect and even affection toward T'Challa, um, I was think I was wondering if that was maybe what they were going to do, a sign of a growing bond between the two of them. Mm. But that's not really where this episode goes. I mean, if Killmonger was impressed at all by it, it was just it was only in passing and, and it didn't really stick, which maybe feeds into some issues that I have with uh, what they were doing with Killmonger in this episode. But what did you think, Paul, with Killmonger being a little more impressed here by T'Challa? Did you think this was a sign of something more hopeful and optimistic between the two of them? Potentially, yeah. I, I think the overall, this T'Challa, which again, they talk about, you know, spinoffs and later, whatever, but it's such a different character. He's so, he's so free-spirited mm -hmm. that I definitely thought that. I definitely felt that you have all of the smarts and the brilliance of the Chala, but it's way more laid back. And I feel like Killmonger has seen that side of T'Challa a little more easygoing, not so, you know, regal, if you will, and just kind of like, you know, serious that there maybe there would be more of a, a buddying friendship. Uh, so I definitely got that impression as well. Um, but I, I know this, this Killmonger, this is a, still the same Killmonger. So I expected, mm -hmm. I, you know what I mean? Like I did, I, I, I was interested to see where it could go from there at the, with this representation of, uh, of T'Challa. So, but yeah, I definitely got a vibe there as well that maybe they're going to go, there could be more of a, a friendship there, a partnership. Yeah. Although it was interesting at all to have Killmonger even react to T'Challa saying yes. that because, this Killmonger only meets T'Challa one time and he kills him. So he doesn't really mm. know him that well. Um, maybe he knew him from afar uh, and spying on T'Challa and Wakanda and everything. And so that's why he's surprised. So I'll just go ahead and 
leave it at that. But um, the plan is to separate Ultron from the Infinity Stones. Uh, but first, Thor's tummy is getting rumbly, so they order Chinese. I thought that was awesome. And the fact that they actually get the food, I thought was the great part about it, because that's what, I mean, it was already a funny line for Thor to talk about his tummy getting rumbly, but then when you cut to, they actually got the food, I thought was awesome. <laughs> and then they introduced the Infinity Crusher that they are going, which can disintegrate each stone into nothing. And so the plan is to start by getting the soul stone and that uh, should help them destroy everything. And uh, as Thor, as they get through the whole plan, Thor gets another great line of not me, I get it, but from maybe for them, repeat it as he's talking about uh, the how complicated the plan is. He totally gets it. But for the benefit of everyone else in the room, uh, maybe uh, the Watcher and Doctor Strange Supreme should go ahead and repeat it. Uh, all of that I thought was really, really funny. And then we get to the calm before the storm. Everybody's talking things out, and they're waiting for Ultron to show up, although that might take a while. If they're coming up with a plan to confront Ultron, they're in a place where most intelligent life is gone, so Ultron's not necessarily going to be seeking it out until, of course, Thor gets involved in a moment. Uh, but Doctor Strange Supreme says the same thing happened to him as happened to Captain Carter as the two of those characters are talking, and he says it was love after Captain Carter asks what happened to him. You know, except for that whole part where Doctor Strange Supreme destroyed an entire universe in the name of love, not something that Captain Carter ever did. So I, I wouldn't say that they are quite uh, in the same boat there. And then Doctor Strange tries to make a toast to the Guardians of the Multiverse. He botches it completely. Um, and then, you know, a proper toast happens. And then Thor, of course, overdoes it at the end of the toast and lights the place up, and that draws the unwanted attention, as Party Thor has a talent for doing, drawing that unwanted attention, uh, Attention, and Ultron arrives. And Doctor Strange uh, hits everybody up with a protection spell, which is very, very handy. And then, Paul, Thor punctuates the entire scene and kicks off the battle with an amazing battle cry, Viva Las Vegas. I oh, my God. Just I couldn't stop laughing at that one. I, I was Dude. absolutely rolling. And that delivery of it, Chris Hemsworth was just, it was Thor, but it was also, I feel like somewhere he was channeling Elvis. Like there's a tiny hint of Elvis in that Viva Las Vegas uh, as Thor is shouting it. And maybe it's just me imagining that and, and knowing that from Elvis, but I, I just, I, I, I couldn't stop laughing at it. It was amazing. I don't know if it's ad-libbed, but oh my God, I thought it was incredible. Both times I saw it, Sean, I was on the floor. Just, just again, the timing and just, it's so perfect. Hemsworth is just, he's such a talent, man. I, man, I, Viva Las Vegas as a battle cry is for Party Thor. It's so perfect. I mean, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I, that was, it might be one of my favorite moments in the whole season is that part. Honestly, it was so good. Yeah, I think it's up there. I think it's one of the funniest moments, at, at least as far as how hard I laughed. One of the funniest moments in anything in the MCU this year. I thought it was so freaking funny. I just loved it. And it kicked off a battle that was just a lot of awesomeness, <clears throat> just a lot of nonstop awesomeness in succession. I mean, we saw some really great and inventive team ups in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. What we didn't necessarily get a lot of, though, was a team-up of Doctor Strange and Thor, and I didn't know how badly I wanted that until this episode where Thor throws Mjolnir, 
and Doctor Strange just multiplies Mjolnir, and it's just all of the this swarm of Mjolnirs that Ultron has to take on, and then they all just cluster around him. And I love how like the last one comes in after all the other ones have like collapsed upon Ultron. I was just, uh, I was loving it. It was so cool. Meanwhile, T'Challa is, uh, you know, he steals things from people. So he was getting the uh, the Soul Stone from Ultron during this. And, and Doctor Strange just leveling up with like his three-headed dragon and, and all mm. of these things. Like it was so, so cool. Just the the opening action sequence of this battle, which I mean, there's a lot of great beats in this battle, but that opening with Thor and, and Doctor Strange and all those Mjolnirs, I was getting a huge kick out of. Yeah, this battle scene is was so much fun to watch. And I, I got to tell you, seeing Doctor Strange Supreme go out there and level everyone up. I just I love seeing the, the, the power <clears throat> that was Doctor Strange had. We saw that in the previous episode that he was in, but to see it out on someone as powerful as Ultron. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was again, I love this. I love the fact that this this Doctor Strange is so much more powerful than even the one we have in the sacred timeline. Right. That he's, he's able to power everyone up. He protects those people. And he's the key to the whole thing. It was, again, we'll talk about a little bit this more towards the end, I think, of this episode. But I loved seeing this Doctor Strange in action. And, you know, you got to think that they might be setting something up with him still. But we'll get to that later on. But I, I love seeing him kind of cut loose on this Ultron character. It was great to see. Yeah, I was I was absolutely loving everything we got from Doctor Strange and even the protection spell. Like, is Doctor Strange powerful enough to create a protection spell that would protect the heroes from not just Ultron, but Ultron with all six Infinity Stones? I suppose it's debatable as we talk about these impossible things, but... This version of Doctor Strange is different than the one we know in the Sacred Timeline or MCU Prime or whatever we want to call it. Sacred Timeline, I guess, being the official term. It's different than that because he's absorbed the power of all these other mythical beings and and creatures that we saw in uh, we saw in his episode. So this is the most powerful version of Doctor Strange that we've ever seen. So maybe it would be possible for him to have this protection spell. So that part of it worked uh, just fine for me. And it was great to see him kind of leveling up. I mean, it speaks to a possible future for this character, but it also speaks Mm -hmm. to just the future of the Doctor Strange we do know in the sacred timeline um, or whatever it's going to be called now after what happens at the end of Loki that uh, we see the potential. Like, this is how far Doctor Strange can go. Now, I don't necessarily need our Doctor Strange from the sacred timeline to make a, a villain turn and destroy a universe like this one did, but it still shows the ability to level up a couple other things I found funny in the early part of this battle, Ultron's thing of you stole my soul stone. I don't know if it was meant to make me laugh, but it totally did. And I, I think with Ross Marquand's delivery here as Ultron, it kind of was because it's it's a very petty, pathetic sounding way uh, for Ultron <laughs> to deliver that line. Like you stole my soul stone. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not it's not that far away from you sunk my battleship. Um, but then the zombies sure. being literally dumped on Ultron was great. That was good. Zombie Wanda being presented as a problem, but then destroyed in seconds when Ultron takes out an entire planet. I totally loved that because that, as far as I'm concerned, is what the zombies 
deserved. Just dump them and get rid of them quickly. Acknowledge that they were part of this season and then very, very, very quickly move on from them. Uh, I thought was that just worked out. Now, I don't think that was why... I don't think they did that to the zombies because they didn't like the the episode that they made. It wasn't about that, but it was fine for the way the net result I enjoyed. And then also Captain Carter cursing her way through a portal as she's like bumping the edges of it as she's falling out of it. Um, all of that stuff was was great. So I was happy with the resolution to the zombie issue of the season. Yes, that was that was the only reason why I feel I felt like that episode existed so they could just dump the zombies on there and have Wanda, you know, zombie take on Ultron for a few minutes. Yeah, which well, well I mean, really seconds before it's uh, it was all over. And right. so as they go to another timeline, another world, this is the one where Natasha Romanoff is the last survivor. And we see that friendship between Captain Carter and and uh, Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff. It comes into play here, even though, of course, this is a different Natasha Romanoff. But what Captain Carter has learned about Natasha is used to kind of help establish that bond in this world, talking about how Natasha's father's name is Ivan. And so that means I was lying a little bit earlier when I mentioned how there weren't really the continuity breaks in this episode. Here is a relatively small one because Natasha in Captain Carter's timeline, at least as far as we know, Natasha in Captain Carter's timeline, as well as the Natasha in this timeline, the last survivor Natasha in this timeline, they haven't been through the experience, as far as we know, on Vormir, which is where, during Avengers Endgame, which is when Natasha learned that her father's name was Ivan. So she wouldn't necessarily know that in theory, the Natasha from Captain Carter's timeline wouldn't have known that her father's name was Ivan, so she wouldn't have been able to share that. And even if the circumstances were different where that Natasha did know her father's name, then I guess we would have had to have had a similar set of circumstances in this timeline because this Natasha also, in theory, should not, the last survivor Natasha also should not know the name of her father or that it's Ivan, but I guess they both do in their respective timelines. But one piece of uh, information that does make sense is is Captain Carter knowing and sharing that Natasha's Da's name was Alexi, Red Guardian, the character we, of course, met in Black Widow earlier this year. So at least that one adds up. And then uh, we see that uh, Captain Carter talks about how Natasha only trusts three people, and Captain Carter is lucky enough to count herself to be one of them and defines their relationship, I believe the term is BFF, but this uh, friendship, Paul, between Captain Carter and Black Widow is one that I, I really, really like. I mean, we never really got to see Scarlett Johansson and Haley Atwell share the screen and, and interact. But and it's not Scarlett Johansson here. It's Lake Bell continuing to do a great job as the voice of Black Widow. But I really like this dynamic between these two characters, which I, I know we'll talk more about when we get to the mid credit scene. But just this little piece of the two of them, you know, teaming up early in the episode and then setting up uh, the really awesome like action beat that they're going to have as they team up. Uh, I really, really liked here. It was really cool seeing them together. And again, my, my whole point of bringing that up in the very beginning with between uh, Captain Carter and Black Widow and, and emphasizing the fact that these people are close. You use that later on to build this and, and bring them together. I really like that. And, and you're right. Like continuity and, and kind of what, what would she know she's the last person on the planet maybe she was able to find out everything at that point whatever um regardless 
I really like the fact that like they use that to you know have her win win her over, and maybe the Watcher knew that too. That's why the reason why he used Captain Carter was to have that. He knew they would need to use Natasha Romanoff and and need, need that immediate uh, connection to convince her. So. I really like the addition. I totally forgot about Black Widow compl- uh, at that point, to be honest. So when she showed up, I went, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I thought about that. So that was a great, I thought, uh, you know, addition to the whole, you know, Guardians of the Multiverse. So love their relationship. And like you said, interesting. I, I, I kind of want to hope they explore that even more later on, at least between those uh, two characters. Definitely. And then Ultron is starting to get frustrated at this point. He even says, I can destroy galaxies with a thought. Why won't you die? And I like that he had this line because I think it called out the elephant in the room. Because Mm -hmm. if you know what we know about Infinity Stones from the Infinity Saga, that if you can take out half the universe, or really, if you want to, all of the universe with one snap of your fingers, which is really just... The snap is how Thanos and then, of course, the Avengers stole his idea. That's how he punctuates the thought of what he wants the Infinity Stones to do. But it is true that that's what they're capable of. Whatever you want with a thought, meaning that if Ultron really wanted to, he could have and should have been able to kill all of them as soon as he saw them in the timeline. Or Actually, really, as soon as Thor got his attention his unwanted attention before the battle even started. At that point, Ultron should be like, who are these guys? And then just thinks about it and they're gone. He should be capable of that, but he doesn't. And I think this, he doesn't do it. And I think this just speaks to what we talked about during the Ultron episode last week. And if you don't buy this, I totally get it. But the reason I buy it is because it is that difference for Ultron that He enjoys the process of conquering. He really enjoys the process of beating the heroes and, uh, and of course, you know, carrying out his will throughout the multiverse. He enjoys every piece of it. It is personal for him in a way that Thanos liked to say it it wasn't for Thanos, that it wasn't personal. For Ultron, it is. And so I think he liked the battle. And now he's at this point where he can't just do it with a thought because he doesn't have all six Infinity Stones at this point. The Soul Stone has been taken. So there was a time when he could have done it, but because he didn't do that when he could have, um, now he doesn't have the same ability. So uh, he should have led with that. Had he led with taking them out with a thought or destroying galaxies with a thought, they'd all be wiped out. But he didn't because he was arrogant and he enjoys that process. So that's why I buy this idea that we even got to have a fight between Ultron with all six Infinity Stones and the heroes in the first place. And when he doesn't have all six, then they the battle can continue, even if he's now reached the conclusion that he should have just taken them out uh, with a thought. And then uh, Captain Carter and Black Widow, they have a moment that I'm sure was just uh, a favorite for, for you, Paul, that we have all of these, uh, a, a lot of shield throws. You have Captain Carter throwing her shield. You have Black Widow throwing the Red Guardian shield that we saw her pick up last week. And that was so cool. And then maybe my favorite shot of the entire episode, one of my favorite shots of the season was the high-low shield strikes where uh, Black Widow is, uh, where you have Black Widow and Captain Carter, They're going, one of them's going high, one of them's going low uh, with their shields from opposite directions, uh, taking out Ultron. That shot I thought was, uh, as I said, one of the coolest of of the episodes and of this episode and the entire season before it, I loved it. 
Yeah, anytime you can get more, the more shield throws in any movie, TV series, or animation series, it only makes your show better, in my opinion. It's like if your show is weak in somewhere, or your story is weak, you're like, man, how we how do we give the story some more umph to get some shield throws, and you're it's gonna like make everything that much better. Let's just be real. The shield throws make everything better, in my opinion. So, yes, there is yes. a uh, there is a direct correlation between the amount of Absolutely. shield throws and the quality of your storytelling. There is no Absolutely. doubt about it. It's just proven. It's science. It's, it's science, exactly. Yeah. So then all the heroes start teeing off on Ultron, which was just so cool, as I say over and over again for this episode, because that's what this episode was. It was all just really cool action beats coming together and Doctor Strange, and then Ultron, to overcome this, starts using the Time Stone to slow things down, but Doctor Strange Supreme is a match for that, because he's got a Time Stone of his own, and then Ultron makes himself Mega Ultron, and then all of those uh, mystical beings that Doctor Strange absorbed, they come into play, it's he's, you know, we just see him, Doctor Strange Supreme being completely unleashed in order to even the scales against this Mega Ultron and it works enough, well enough to where the Soul Stone is able to be put in the Infinity Crusher, and they use that to uh, to go against Ultron, but it doesn't work because apparently the Infinity Crusher, it can only destroy the Infinity Stones from its own universe. It doesn't work across different universes, which you could criticize this as just saying it, it's kind of a, a funky creative loophole that they've created but i I just i don't know i i think it works because even though because you can certainly ask the question well if if the infinity stones from one universe work in different universes then why wouldn't the infinity crusher also have the same abilities and i would say the difference is that the infinity stones are not made by well it's not necessarily man-made but they're not made by sentient beings like the infinity crusher was it's not like it has its the origin of the Infinity Crusher, which is just something that's been manufactured, is not. it doesn't go back to the beginning of time like the Infinity Stones do. So I buy this idea that uh, the Infinity Crusher only works in one universe at a time, whereas the Infinity Stones don't necessarily have the same limitation. So I was fine with that in this episode, and I was more than fine with the iconic Avengers shot that is recreated with the Guardians of the Multiverse before we move into the final, final stage of uh, of this battle. But all of that stuff, Mega Ultron, Doctor Strange Supreme, and, you know, the Infinity Crusher thing not working out, and the iconic Avengers shot, it just kept building on, you know, just how how cool this episode was. Yeah, the, the, the Infinity Crusher thing was a little, uh, you know, it, it was whatever. I... I that probably might be my least favorite aspect. It's like, why have that at all? Uh, I don't know, whatever. It, it's fine. It, I think not having the episode before that the show kind of showcase the crusher that might make it better make it have, make more sense for me, mm-hmm. at least for me. So it wasn't my favorite aspect, but yeah, seeing Dr. Strange Supreme kind of, all that together besides that gets all means to an end. Again, I'm not going to be like, this makes this episode terrible. Right. But well, I'm fine I, with the logic of the Infinity Crusher, but there is the separate question of why would the Watcher even let them think that was the plan anyway if he knew it, it was going to fail? Exactly. That's the part that is, you know, I, I think the valid criticism of this is like, why why go through all the hassle and, and why not tell everyone what the plan is? There's an, a reason why he wouldn't necessarily tell Killmonger what the plan is, but could have told everybody else. Yeah, that that to me was 
is whatever, you know, but the, the fight scene, and again, I love seeing the fight scene all play out. And it, even with someone as powerful as, uh, you know, someone with all the infinity, you know, infinity gems, it, it just made, everything made sense. And I thought that like, again, having Dr. Strange be that equal power, like be the one that kind of is a difference maker, it all made it all be copacetic and, and make a lot more lot, at least logical sense in the episodes concerned. Uh, it made me justify it, having them, you know, stand the power of Ultron at that moment. So I thought the writing of this and having it all be n- not just again, like why didn't Ultron just see you later? It all brought, it all was written very well in a sense to where Dr. Strange being that, that, that anchor, having all of them being able to do their things against them all made sense. I really liked it. Minus the, 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 you know, the, the gem crusher. So it definitely was building towards something that maybe we weren't necessarily, I wasn't expecting necessarily what we got. So again, I thought it was going to be kind of more of a, you know, punchy, punchy kick, kick kind of a thing. And that's not what we got, which I really liked to be honest. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of punching and kicking and well, just of course. violent action, but yeah, of course the resolution wasn't quite as simple as that. And then as far as what that resolution was, Ultron is putting that protection spell to the test, and just as it looks like things are are really going to fall apart there, we have the the next step in the plan, which is the Zola Arrow that we saw being created last week, and it's a reprisal of the line we hear from earlier in the episode that I've got the shield, you've got the sword bit, except this time, of course, the sword, where in Captain Carter's timeline, the swords were really knives for Black Widow. In this timeline, it's an arrow, and another really awesome action beat with Black Widow on the bike and then just launches and fires the arrow. Meanwhile, Captain Carter has the assist to lift up Ultron's face mask to make sure the arrow goes right into Ultron's eye. And then that leads to Zola versus Ultron. Inside of that armor, Zola wins. And all of that I I thought was very well done. And and I thought it was just a, a really great, the imagery of it was just very big, very epic, which was appropriate for this finale. So I really liked that. And then... Where it goes next, of course, is now as Ultron has fallen down to the ground, uh, Killmonger takes the Ultron armor and the Infinity Stones for himself, and he says, the Watcher owes us this with these stones. We can fix our worlds, our lives. And he kind of spins the the story of this, like this is for everyone. Even talks about how Captain Carter can go back and, and be with Steve, although his uh, his tone isn't exactly sincere when he says it and nobody else is buying this by the way and uh but it, i think this is the moment that really speaks to who killmonger is uh, certainly in in his in this timeline where we see that he was uh as is typical for him pretending that it's for everyone but really this is just for him this is him wanting more power and he can say it's for everyone fixing our worlds but it's not like he's really going to share those infinity stones they would only ever be in his position and so killmonger readies himself and he attacks but zola still has control of that ultron armor and then we get for the first time ever in the mcu anywhere is as thor aptly puts it stomach face version of zola which i'm sure you flipped for paul at least i I, when Mm -hmm. i saw that visual i was like oh paul's gonna love that uh i you just you would have to because it's just one thing we never ever got With Zola, I mean, and I'm not knocking anything we've had from Zola in live action. I mean, that reveal in Captain America, the Winter Soldier remains one of the coolest surprises and reveals 
in uh, in the MCU, at least for anybody who happens to be a fan of Zola. So I loved that there. But seeing this version of Zola with the whole stomach face thing, uh, with this showdown with Killmonger, was uh, this was amazing, and th- this was a real treat for anybody who's you know followed Zola from comic books or or animate in other non Marvel studio stuff. There's other animated shows where he's appeared somewhat like this, but uh, I was really digging it. Yeah, seeing the stomach uh, version of Zola definitely was a nod to the comic books. I loved it. And it maybe just miss Zola so much in the MCU. I I really hope he comes back. I mean, I I do think they might be setting up the fact that he could be showing up again, to be honest. Like, hey, remember this guy? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Uh, it would make a lot of sense for Hydra to come back, that Zola would be the one to do it. I mean, he is a computer system right now. doesn't even have to be Hydra. Be. I mean, Zola could, Zola could graduate from that. I mean, look, they... They had this working here because they created a whole separate copy of Zola, and he didn't have the memories of what happened because he wasn't networked, right? This was an analog version of him. That's why they're using him in the first place, but Mm -hmm. he didn't have the memories of what happened in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, but he had the memories of everything else before, you know, when he got uploaded onto those databanks. So you could totally have that, like in the live, I mean... You would hope they find a different way of doing it, but you could still have another copy of Zola existing somewhere um, Mm -hmm. that is uncovered and that plays a factor. And you could still have Zola learning about the the downfall of Hydra and just instantly coming up with a new plan or finding out that Zola already had a plan that he had. a There was a long game being played by Arnim Zola that was going to supersede anything that Hydra wanted or any of Hydra's goals. Um, so all of that is still possible for that character. And uh, I like that they, of course, brought him back. And you could say that it was all just about trading off of our knowledge of that character and having kind of our, our built-in understanding of that character inform, of course, how much we enjoyed seeing him in this episode. And yeah, it's it's certainly there for the purpose of this series. But there's also the other effect that happens in the MCU where a character is introduced or brought back for the purpose of one story but the audience responds to it in a certain way. And then all of a sudden that character has other opportunities and other stories. So uh, I agree with you in hoping that we'll see more of Zola in the future. And, and I do think the possibilities are, are definitely there. And then uh, Killmonger and Zola, they end up in a cosmic tug of war over the infinity mm. stones. And this is where Dr. Strange Supreme realizes they were never meant to win. Uh, it was just to separate the stones from the body So he freezes Killmonger and Zola in a pocket dimension in that struggle, and he will have to watch over them forever to make sure that they don't escape. So this is Strange's sacrifice, not entirely unlike the whole Dormammu, I've come to bargain, where he was just going to keep dying over and over again uh, until the end of time or beyond the end of time. Uh, This is Doctor Strange who, I mean... He doesn't have to die over and over again. It probably will get boring watching the same little pocket dimension uh, for all eternity. But that is his job right now. And that's a sacrifice that he that's still something that he deserves to do. You know, that's a a fate that he deserves that he's earned for himself because he did just so happen to destroy uh, an entire universe. So this is fair for Doctor Strange Supreme to do this. At the same time, uh, it keeps him very much in play. I mentioned last week, I thought he was going to die. I I thought Dr. Strange Supreme was going to have to sacrifice himself, like, you know, sacrifice his entire life and just be dead and gone 
in order to uh, in order to make amends for what he did and ultimately stop Ultron. That's not what he has to do. In some ways, you could argue this is a greater sacrifice because you die and then it's all over. This is Doctor Strange having to do this forever. But as I said, it keeps him in play for future seasons of What If, mm-hmm. animated spinoffs, and of course, live action uh, live action versions. I still don't think, by the way, that's Doctor Strange Supreme in Spider-Man No Way Home. I don't necessarily anticipate that this version of the character is going to show up in Multiverse of Madness. I think if he's going to show up anywhere, I think that's where in live action, that's the most likely place or Loki season two, I think would be the most likely places for him. I actually don't think it's going to be Spider-Man No Way Home, but I may be proven wrong on that in just a couple months. We'll see. Yeah, I didn't think about that. You know, him showing up in Loki. That would be really cool. And maybe have Doctor Strange Supreme take on Kang or something like that, or or you know, because again, I I always look at like a Doctor Strange Supreme and these and the Infinity uh, Gems and all this stuff, and how does Kang and Immortus and all that, you know, he who remains, all that jazz, how does that all you know, how does that all make sense in the context of uh, the cinematic universe? So I'm very interested. I don't, I didn't think about Loki. But that's a really interesting idea. I would love to see this dark version of, of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, I think the, uh, the Sacred Timeline Strange and and that Strange talking would be a valuable, valuable, amazing scene together. And, and I don't want it to be a fight scene. I'd want it to be a sit-down, like, right. two, three, four-minute scene of, of Doctor Strange Supreme explaining what needs to happen to – or what he needs to avoid to becoming – what Dr. Strange Supreme, the, the right. bad side of that uh, idea. Cause obviously there's a little bit of redemption here, but you know, why does he need to avoid and what, what does he need to avoid being uh, the sacred timeline, Dr. Strange? That to me is really fascinating and interesting. So that's where I'm really fascinated to see where this Dr. Strange could be uh, in future projects. I think that's a very important point that it wouldn't necessarily be a battle between these mm-hmm. versions of Doctor Strange because a lot of the speculation that I've seen and you know the fan theories and everything around Doctor Strange Supreme showing up in No Way Home or showing up in Multiverse of Madness is that he's still playing the part of the antagonist that he's still evil like he it seemed like he was being in that fourth episode of What If and I think this version of Doctor Strange Supreme I think he's graduated from that he learned the error of his ways i mean it it shouldn't take destroying an entire universe to learn the error of his ways but nevertheless that's where we are but i I feel like he learned from that like i don't think he's still trying to be bad i don't think he is a sinister character or anything like that so i don't think he's intentional i don't think that's him in no way home intentionally screwing things up for spider-man and i don't think that if he pops up in multiverse of madness that he would be an antagonist for Doctor Strange from the Sacred Timeline. I agree with you that if anything, if he's going to pop up in that movie at all, and he really may not at all, I don't even know what odds I would put on whether he's going to show up or not. I could see the possibility of it, but I wouldn't necessarily count on it either. But if he does show up, I like that role of like, here's, if this is what you're doing, just beware, because here's how bad it could go. Here's what I'm up to these days. I, I feel like that sort of thing of uh, teaching those lessons that he's that Doctor Strange Supreme has already learned and, and 
giving that wisdom to Doctor Strange from the sacred timeline, that makes sense to me. It doesn't mean it has to happen in Multiverse of Madness, but if there's going to be inter any interaction between these different versions of Doctor Strange, that's the type of interaction that makes the most sense to me. What may not make quite as much sense to me, though, Paula, is let's talk about, now that we see the resolution to this, let's talk about the Watcher's plan, as we were kind of mentioning a, a couple times throughout this episode. I mean, why even have Killmonger in the, on the team in the first place? Like, he was only there to betray the team, but in theory, they should have been able to get the stones away from Ultron anyway. Like, as soon as Zola took Ultron down... Any one of them could have gotten the stones away. Like they, it didn't need to be Killmonger. At least the episode didn't give me anything to make me feel like it needed to be Killmonger. Mm -hmm. And also, why is it a thing that? Why is it that Doctor Strange Supreme has to realize the plan in the heat of battle, as opposed to like just telling him what the plan is and telling everybody but Killmonger what the plan is? Um, it, it just it, it doesn't really. That part of it doesn't really add up. There's no reason for the Watcher to not be clear about what the plan is for everybody on the team except Killmonger. And if he was clear with everybody on the team except Killmonger, then Killmonger doesn't even need to be there anyway. So that part, it's a little bit shaky, um, but it does it definitely says something about, uh, about Killmonger because he had the perfect opportunity, the perfect path to redemption being laid out right there for him, and he, instead he just chooses to take more power for himself. So that's definitely who Killmonger is, but... All that being said, it, it is the Watcher's plan is uh, is needlessly complicated. But this is the Watcher, and he's also doing things for his own entertainment. So maybe that's why. Yes, his own entertainment. Exactly. I I'm with you. This was again. This was a little bit of a stretch, but it was all it was obviously to serve the purpose of the previous episode. So I get it. I liked it. But you're right. You don't. You don't need to have him in the scene or have him in this episode and pick him. Yeah, it was. It's a little bit of a. It's a stretch. But I. I again, it's one of those things where I've, I've, I'll definitely admit it's not. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's not a strong point of the episode or the series, but it works. And I that I'm. I love. I love what we got. So and I wouldn't have changed it either. To be honest, that's I would have. Too. I, I would take kill. You can take Killmonger out of the episode completely. I don't really think he ultimately adds much to it. Well, to me, I, he does because I love the character. So that that to me says something, and that's ultimately all I care about at that point. I probably would have gone out of my way a little bit to make it more have more sense, obviously, but I would have kept him in the episode. Just maybe try to use a little bit more of a reason why he's there in the first place before that. Right. I think that's what it is. If you're going to have if you're going to have him in the episode, mm -hmm. create a better reason for it, because he's not the hero that these other characters are, nor does he give any indication that he's learned from his mistakes and is trying to do better, as you see with Doctor Strange Supreme. So I don't really know. Like, that's where his presence in this episode isn't really earned by anything in the episode. So either put that in the story or just save him for season two before you pick up the thread of his timeline. That's the mm. other option here is to just not necessarily have. I mean, I get it that you introduced all of these alternate versions of these characters to have them come together and form the Guardians of the Multiverse. But there's no but if you're going to do that and have Killmonger be a part of it you've got to have a better reason 
for why that's happening. So it didn't uh, it, it didn't stop me from enjoying the episode, but that's also because Killmonger's barely in it. So that's where, like, compared to the other characters who are much uh, featured much more prominently in this, that's why I still like it is because all the Captain Carter stuff is awesome, the Doctor mm. Strange stuff, everybody else is really shining in this episode, just not so much uh, Killmonger. But anyway... Overall, as I said, I, I really, really enjoyed this finale. And, and as far as kind of our, a little bit of our, our epilogue here, classic cosmic confrontation, right? Where the mm -hmm. Watcher then has to tell the heroes, no one will ever know their victory. So they're the only ones who will know uh, everything that went down here. And they all have to go back to the exact moment that they left. Although I guess Killmonger doesn't get to go back, so because uh, he's trapped in here for all, he's trapped in that pocket dimension for all eternity. But everybody else gets to go back. The only other exception to that is Natasha. Captain Carter does uh, take a moment to think about uh, going back to a time where she could be with Steve, but the Watcher tells her her time needs Captain Carter, and as we will see, Steve is probably going to be there anyway. Uh, so Natasha goes after the Watcher for. She puts forth the idea that he is callous, that he doesn't ultimately care, that this is all just kind of entertainment for him. And then he explains how these stories and the people in these stories, that it's all, it's everything to him. Kind of like us as the audience, right? We just watch, mm. but these stories mean a lot to us. So that's where we can relate to the watcher. The difference is we really can't intervene. Uh, we literally cannot intervene, and, and he can. So I don't know that that totally gets him off the hook, but I, I certainly understand how much the stories mean to him. So uh, the Watcher says he can't fix Natasha's world. That's not the sort of intervention he can, pro he can provide, um, but he can give her a different world. And the door that she said she wasn't going to walk through was really more of a metaphor, and the illusion goes away, and now we are aboard a helicarrier, in the midst of a full battle with Captain America and Captain Marvel and others against Loki's Asgardian army. So this takes us back to the world of episode three. As the Watcher says, this is a world that lost their widow. And we see Fury and Loki, our Black Widow that we've been following in this episode, who was the last survivor in her timeline. She takes Loki out. Fury immediately recognizes that it's not the same Natasha, but something tells me you have her spirit, he says. And... I think this is, you know, a nice, convenient landing spot for this Black Widow. So well done for the Watcher on that part. Although, uh, I guess you could say, couldn't he have sent her to a world without a Widow, but still had a Hawkeye? Because, like, her friend Clint Barton is still gone uh, in this timeline. I I'm only kidding there, because I know it's there's no easy place to put her. But I'm sure some people are probably wondering, well, why doesn't he put her in the sacred timeline? Because that timeline doesn't have a Widow either. Um, but I would also say that putting her in the sacred timeline, it creates issues because she hasn't had all the experiences that we have, that we've witnessed for Natasha. So I'm, I'm not really interested in her going into this, the sacred timeline and having to be filled in on, here's everything that happened uh, after the events of Age of Ultron that you never saw because you guys lost during the events of Age of Ultron. So everything she went through in Civil War, in her own solo movie that we just saw this summer, um, and, of course, going through Infinity War and, and all of those things that made her story so great in the Infinity Saga. I wouldn't necessarily want to change that by having this Black Widow be part of the sacred timeline in live action, at least not yet. But um, as far as where things go as an ending to this episode to drop her in a world that doesn't have a widow. Yes, it's, it's very, very convenient, but it works. I'm with you 100 percent. I echo everything you say. 
I really liked the Black Widow ending. I thought it was perfect, and it, it just it just felt it felt good. It felt like a good good storybook ending. I thought for that one. Yeah, and then I liked the uh, the shot of T'Challa uh, teaching Quill how to fire the blasters. Like I thought that was awesome, because uh, you know there was the shot of Yondu and, and young Quill from like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, and so now it's it's T'Challa and Peter Quill. I thought was cool, and Thor and Jane uh, reuniting in Vegas, and then you have uh, the Watcher calling a close to this series minus the mid credit scene. Where he says, that's it, isn't it? All creatures searching for a place to belong, to call home. As for me, I am the Watcher, the multiverse. Every single world, every story is my home, and I will protect it to the end. Speaking for the fans again, right? The multiverse, the MCU, mm-hmm. every single world in this universe, every story, this is our home as MCU fans. And certainly we've compared it to that on the podcast, that feeling of just being home, whether that's in a theater with fellow MCU fans or just watching these stories, connecting with these stories. So uh, I certainly understand and, and agree with the watcher about the power that they have. And, and I love the way that he sums it up at the end of this episode, but also that last line, and I will protect it to the end. Just it's that's where you're speaking to season two, right? Like I will protect it mm-hmm. to the end. It's not like it's over. They've stopped this threat. But the Watcher's been around long enough, seen it all, and until, of course, you know, eventually he will see something he hasn't seen. But we already know that that process can happen because of what just went down with Ultron. So there will be some other threat to the multiverse that will emerge for season two. And I'm very excited about that. And of course, the prospect of more what if. I'm totally up for that and, and ready for a whole other season of this show. And I also think that, you know, because the next season presumably wouldn't have to trade as much off of the Infinity Saga as this one did. I actually think that allows the the series to be even better and maybe not have to trip over some of these things that it did uh, with continuity issues and whatever. If it's really more about moving forward as opposed to just always looking back as often as this one had to, I could see that allowing the, the series to be even better. Um, and I also still really like, though, that they found a balance that I, I didn't think that it was going to, as I said earlier in the show. I didn't think we were going to get as definitive of a resolution on the events of this season as we got. So they really did a good job of kind of closing the book on this series of events while still, of course, setting it out there that that a whole other story can be told or a whole other set of stories can unfold in a subsequent season. So uh, I, I really like the balance here. And, and I like that we got uh, a pretty solid ending to this story. Yeah, I, I love the series. Um there, it was a perfect no, but I I really want a season two. I hope it keeps going for multiple seasons. I hope it develops the Watcher uh, going forward, and hope we obviously will probably see him in the future as well. And yeah, I, I thought this was a pretty entertaining season, I, a great season finale, and I think it does help set up a lot of things that, that we could see definitely in the future. And I think this has been a, a again. A successful series and is it again is this measure up to the, the live action stuff no but i don't know if it has to but i think the one thing i i love about this is it shows that i think the animation style is is maybe not measured up to live action but it at least 
it doesn't it doesn't feel like we're stepping down either if that makes any sense it, it definitely feels it's in the same realm or same area as far as a quality that we're getting mm-hmm. and if they ever want to do an animated series like let's say they want to do an animated series black widow for uh for whatever reason or like you know after shield or she joined shield with, with uh clinton barton we may not be able to get that in live action but now we can get it in, in a animated series or something mm-hmm. like that yeah. so i think it, it definitely opens those doors that at least now we're used to it and the quality of animation is great it's only to get better from here so i think that to me is important too and i i really look forward to seeing more what if and potentially more series uh more animation from the uh for the sacred timeline or potentially because the of of you know of of the series essentially in my opinion so i'm looking forward to all of that as am I. And I think as far as animation goes, it certainly wasn't the medium that held this series back in any way. And, and that's not to say I, I didn't like the series. Like the story still had an emotional impact. They were still very impressive to watch visually. I was I, I was loving this series week to week. I mean, there were moments that we called out on a weekly basis of just how cool this looked, uh, including some of the great moments in the final battle several moments, ones we called out and and plenty we didn't in the final battle in this episode. So the animation is not what held the series back. I I think the only, the biggest issues that we would go up against throughout our own viewing of the series and and reviewing it here on the podcast, it was really more of just certain story choices. And I think even a lot of that, you could say it's really more about the length of the episodes, that they're doing a Mm -hmm. lot of stuff in 30 minutes And so that means in order to make a lot of that work and kind of try to maximize the emotional impact of it, it does mean taking some shortcuts. And some of those shortcuts are going to take the form of continuity breaks and things like that with the canon. So I, you know, I I don't think that's not really the fault of animation. And then you, I mean, I guess you could say, well, it's expensive to animate these episodes. And so they can't be longer than, than they are in it. And that's how the medium is to blame for the, any little storytelling Uh, flaws in there, but I still just don't think that's true. And I'm still a big believer in Marvel Studios animation because I I shouldn't even have to say it that way because it's funny to the way I'm talking about it now almost makes it sound like I didn't like the series. I loved this series and you go back through these spoiler reviews and most of Mm -hmm. the time was loving the series, even when there were episodes that I had some issues with here and there. Uh, I, I thought this was a very good series. I don't think that it is quite as strong as the live action series that we have had this year. But that's less about the flaws in this series compared to just the the heights that the other series were able to reach in live action mm-hmm. this year. I mean, it's been an incredible year when we're talking about these 30 Marvel Studios episodes that we've had, plus the two films that we've had so far, and we have more on the way, that the storytelling has been so good that this is just where the standard is. This is just where... Things have been, uh, this is just where the bar has been set. And I think What If mostly was able to get there, even if there were some times where it fell uh, a little bit short. But I am still very excited about going back and rewatching this season, getting another season of What If. And then also to that point you made, Paul, about animation and the potential that it has for Marvel Studios that it can go so much further from here, whether that is spinoffs generated from this series or other stories that are not so much just the the what if having fun with the multiverse that isn't really affecting the main timeline that we're focusing on in the live action movies and series 
but even supplementing the live action movies and series and telling stories that and covering ground that maybe those stories are, are never going to cover and filling in some of those blanks in animation in very interesting ways uh, that I, I am very excited about. And I feel like that stuff that Marvel Studios, I, I hope anyway, they have the, the confidence of doing that. And it certainly sounds like they are ramping up animation and they are building out that part of Marvel Studios. So I, I think this really is only just the beginning with what we got in this season of what if? But before we get out of here, we got to talk about the mid credit scene, which takes us back to the Lemurian star, the moment that Captain Carter left. Natasha takes out Batroc, because, of course, Captain Carter was understandably distracted. And they find out that, uh, of course, this version of events on the Lemurian star, it's not Project Insight. There's something else on the ship. And uh, it is the Hydra Stomper. And Natasha says there's someone inside. And we don't actually see Steve Rogers, but that is the implication. And we still don't know what this means, though. Is, like, Steve the Winter Soldier in this? Uh, what are we going to see here? We don't really know. I mean, Captain Carter sounds very, very hopeful um, at the end of this, but we don't actually know what this means. But what it does speak to for me, Paul, is that Captain Carter is obviously going to be back. And I think this character should be back, but I don't know that that needs to be limited to the second season of What If. I mean, we've talked about the live action potential of this character, and I believe that that's very real, and I hope that it happens. But I also think that this mid credit scene leads to Captain Carter. I think she can have her own series, and I think a lot of people feel that way after this episode. I, I totally think that Captain Carter could have her own uh, her own series that that just goes through this timeline. I mean, even the way the Watcher told her that her world needs Captain Carter, well, why? Show us those adventures on an ongoing basis, I think would be a lot of fun. There's a lot of potential here, and it doesn't just have to be Captain Carter doing one or two episodes of What If each season. She could have her own series in this timeline, and I think audiences would be here for it. I know I would be. Yeah, I, I would be 100% down with, with a Captain Carter series of some kind with the Hydra Stomper coming back because I freaking love that thing. Um, and I love Captain Carter. So, yeah, I'd be all for it. I want to see Captain Carter in live action. And I think it's not an impossibility we won't. So, But, yeah, I, I give me more Captain Carter one way or another. Yeah, totally agree. Well, that is it for our What If spoiler reviews. Thanks, everyone, for checking these out. Of course, the podcast is not going away. We will keep things going while we wait for Eternals, which is not very far away, less than a month away uh, for Eternals. So we'll have another movie to be talking about. And of course, plenty of news to discuss between now and then. And then it won't be very far from Eternals to Disney Plus Day to, of course, Hawkeye debuting. And then we're back in spoiler review mode for the Hawkeye Disney Plus series. So make sure you are following us in all those places you can at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and subscribing to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And you can hear even more if you check out Fan Show Plus, whether that's at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber, or you can access it via Apple Podcasts. Just search for the MCU Fan Show channel on Apple Podcasts or for Fan Show Plus, and you can get that premium podcast series over there. And uh, Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge. Uh, tonight, my my good buddy Chris Clow and I, we are going to be playing 
Maximum Carnage, the video game, while talking about Venom comic books and what to read. And it's going to be a lot of fun. A little bit of experiment. This is something that Chris has wanted to do for a long time. And we're going to give it a shot. And then next week, I'm really excited. I'm not sure what day. We'll be live streaming a uh, uh, What If comic book required reading. So MCU What If required reading. Our, some of our favorite uh, What If comic books. I'm, I believe I've got my, my buddy Alex from Comic Book Historians coming back. I've already got my two picked out. I'm excited what he picks out. I'm sure Chris will join us too. So check those out. We also have our DC and versus Marvel Universe 90s retrospective out right now you can listen to so please check that out and you can find me on twitter and instagram at mr sean gerber so for paul i'm sean thanks for listening we'll see you next time